Next Sunday, we have a special speaker with us, uh, a prophet, a prophetic voice. He, he was with us about 15 years ago, roughly, maybe even a bit longer. Um, and when he, when he came, he spoke a word, and, and Pastor Nelson grabbed the word. Whenever you get a prophetic word, keep it. I'm giving you an instruction here. When, when God speaks a word over you, don't let it fall and be forgotten, but hang on to it and say, Lord, this is what you say. This is what you're going to do, and rehearse it and remember it. And the prophetic voice, uh, the prophet, his name is um, Bernie Hartog. He's from Tanz, Tanzam, Tasmania. Tanzania. I'm thinking Tasmania devil, but I can't use that word in here. He's from Tasmania, which is um, down near New Zealand and Australia, down in that side of the, the world. And he, he came, and one of the words that he spoke, he spoke some a number of words, but one of the words he spoke was that we were going to double in size. And Pastor Nelson grabbed onto that and said, yes, Lord, and, and when you get a prophetic word, sometimes there's an aspect that you have to do also to see it happen. So there were some things that we did that we incorporated and we, we felt we needed to do. And you know what? We doubled in size. Just like the prophetic word over our church and over Pastor Nelson and Pastor Louise. So if, about a month and a half ago, I got a phone call saying, hey, he's coming. Would you be interested in having him? And I jumped at it because... I'm interested to hear what God has to say to Solid Rock. So I want to encourage you next Sunday to come. Because I believe he's going to say a word, not just to our church body, but I also think and believe that he may actually have some words for individuals here. And I'm not asking him to pick anybody out. I'm not going to give him any, pre I'm, I'm just going to say we want to receive what you have to say to us. But sometimes a, prof a prophet may see somebody or God will highlight somebody. And so I want to encourage you, if you're hungry for what God has to say for you or to, to you, um, I want to encourage you to, to come out. I believe God's going to have a timely word for our church. Um, and so I'm looking forward to it, and that is next Sunday. So um, just be aware of that. Well... God is good. God is good. He's real good. He's like really, really, really good. Um, <laughs> I've had some conversations with Jesus this week. And I've been doing a series on conversations with Jesus. And, and I was contemplating what to do. And I just felt directed and, and I felt the Lord saying, we're moving forward. We're moving forward. And I believe the word that, that he gave me this morning, I believe it's, it's for the church. I believe it's for many, many people here this morning. Um, there may be a little bit of confusion going on right now. There may be some of us here that don't quite understand everything that's happening. So as I was studying and preparing, I was reading my, my Bible, and I came to the passage in John 14, and I'd like you to turn there, and I want to spend a few minutes looking 
at what God was saying and what Jesus was saying. In this passage, you have to get the context of this passage. John 14, the last number of chapters, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, they're all this long conversation that Jesus has And it's one of the last conversations that's recorded that he has before he's uh, betrayed, arrested, and crucified. And Jesus knows this is coming. Some people refer to it the Last Supper. And this is the context of this passage. And actually, if you read John... 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you'll find out that he gives some amazing instructions, but he also prays for himself, but then he also prays for the disciples, and then he prays for others. And the emotion that he had at that moment in those times, he, he had just said in chapter 13, he had just said to the people, there's going to be somebody here that betrays me. So they're having this dinner, they're having this meal, and he's having this conversation and he's been telling them, it's time for me to go. It's time to go. And, and he's been dropping hints. And some of them have been catching it, but not everybody. And then he says, somebody's going to betray me. And they still didn't understand. They asked. In fact, you, you find out that Peter tells John to say, who is it? And so they're trying to figure this all out. And in the middle of this conversation we find John 14, and I want to read about the first five or six verses, and then I just want to spend a few minutes looking at this passage this morning. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us some thoughts, some direction. And, and it starts with, let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> I thought that was appropriate. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where, you, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, I just take these moments that we have together. Lord, and I ask that you would illuminate your word. Holy Spirit, I submit to you and I ask that you would speak your words of truth, your words of life, your words of understanding. Lord, that it would fall and that we would actually hear what you are saying today to us. Lord, I take these moments and I submit myself to you. In your precious name, amen. Do you know what makes a good conversationalist? Do you know what makes a good conversation? It's the listener. It's the person that listens that makes the conversation. And I've had conversations with people, and I've said things. 
And I've walked away, and the recipient didn't hear a word I said. I've had other conversations where I've said things, and I've gotten back together with that individual literally a year, two years, three years, sometimes even 40 years later, and they remember the conversation that we had. And I'm not stretching that. I'm honest with you. When I was six years old, I had a conversation with my mom. And I told her, I said, I was dancing around a picnic table in our, in our kitchen, listening to the Camerons on a thing called an LP, which is a record, vinyl. And I was dancing to the Camerons around the picnic table and this round thing that now would be worth a fortune. It was one of those, uh, back then it was a, in fashion, it was one of these tables with the chrome ring around it and the fancy metal legs. And, you know, you get rid of them, but now everybody wants them. And I would dance around that when I was about six years old, listening to the Camerons. And all of a sudden I stopped because God was speaking to me and he had a conversation for me. And he said, David, I want you to be a pastor. And I remember that as much as I hear my own voice now. And I stopped and I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, Jesus wants me to be a pastor. And my mom, she's here today, and I know that she never forgot that conversation. In fact, she reminded me of that many times when I didn't think or feel like I wanted to be a pastor. She would look at me and say, David, you're, a, you're going to be a pastor. What makes a great conversation and a great conversationalist is the person that listens. Because the person that listens picks up what's being said. So this morning as we look at this conversation, I'm asking you to listen closely, not to what I'm saying but to what the Holy Spirit's saying. Because when you listen and you pick up, you will hear the words being said. So Jesus is having this conversation, and he, I have found in conversations with Jesus, he doesn't have to say much. He doesn't have to say a whole lot to have impact. I mean, in some conversations, he said, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Other conversations, he puts mud on their face, and he says, go wash in the pool. Another conversation, he says, would you like to be healed? I mean, sometimes the conversations he has are short. This one actually happens to be quite a long, lengthy conversation, and I'm breaking it up into parts but in this conversation, he says some things that are powerful. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the 12, or at that point there were 12. Judas later left, and then they brought another person in. But this was, this was the, what we refer to as the apostolic leaders of the church. When the church was birthed. It was through the birthing of the Holy Spirit and through the work and the ministry that the apostles had. This who is who Jesus was entrusting things to. Their ages were probably in their high teens or early 20s. 
Not necessarily in their 30s or 40s, which I always thought as a kid. These, these guys were in their young 20s or even late teens. Can you imagine entrusting something to a teenager? All the parents gulped. I remember what I looked like when I was 19. How somebody could entrust something with me, I have no clue. My wife and I got married. I was 19 when we got married, and we have pictures to prove it. And then we would go to weddings when we were in our early 30s, and we'd look at these kids in their early 20s, and we'd say, they're too young to get married. They're t-. Jesus, sometimes when he picks you, he picks you for what he sees, not for what you are at that moment. I mean, we have Peter in there. I thank God for Peter. I thank God for Peter because he says things that I think. And I'm just too afraid to say them, but he kind of like just is out there. So he has this conversation as he sees what's coming. And I find it amazing. Have you ever had the conversation where it starts with like, I know you're not going to like this, but. Have you ever had that conversation? Like the person, um, I, I need to talk to you about something. I don't think you're going to be too happy about this. Are you sitting down? I mean, that's kind of how he starts this conversation. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Why would my heart be troubled? I'm sitting here with you, Jesus. Sometimes when he tells us things, it's because he knows what's happening. So I've got a number of things, and the first thing I want you to, to see is don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Some of us, sometimes, the way we process things, our mode of operation, our method of handling information, sometimes our heart gets troubled. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's preparing them to, to tell them something. And he starts by saying, don't let your heart be troubled. And he says, believe in God. You believe in God and believe also in me. And he starts the conversation with how you combat a troubled heart. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. One of the cures for a troubled heart is right there. Belief. Who do you believe? What do you believe? Do you believe that he's the lover of your soul? Do you believe that he's the healer of the broken heart? Do you believe that he is the great physician? Do you believe that he is the one that is your provider? Do you believe that he can save your soul from destruction? And some of those you might have checked. I would encourage you, when you believe in Jesus, believe in everything He's done. Don't just believe in what you think. 
Believe in what he's done, what he says, what he's done, and the word that he gives. And so he starts with telling his disciples to believe in him. I like, also like the next part because not only does he tell them to believe him, but then he says, I've got a future for you. He's got a future for you. And this is all in the context of, of the Last Supper. And there's an uprising happening. And there's some things that are going to happen and he's seeing and he knows what's going to come and he's sitting there with his disciples and he's telling them, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in, you believe in God, believe in me also. He says, and I'm preparing a place for you. And then we get to this interesting question, this, this conversation and sometimes he says things that we completely miss. And I find this, I have found these conversations as I've been looking at them, how often I've just glazed over them as a kid. But as I look at these, I've got to be honest with you, I'm kind of finding myself in the camp of the disciples time and time again, not always understanding exactly what he's saying. If I'm in that conversation with him, he continues and, and he says, um, he says, and where I go, you know. The way you know. That would have gone right over my head. Because we're having a nice dinner. We're having a, a dinner here. You just washed our feet. You just were showing us what it is to be a servant, what it is to lead, what it is to care. And then you say, where I'm going, you know. And the way you know. And I thank God for Thomas. Thomas. Because he's the only one here that asks the question. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And this is where I want to spend a few minutes with. I, wanna, I want you to think about in your hearts. And it might be in light of what's happened in this last week, because this last week I don't think just impacted Pastor Daniel and Pastor Brenda and their children. I think it impacted a lot of people. And I know, I know it impacted a lot of people. I've seen it. And you might be actually sitting there and you go, where are you going? What are you doing? When everything is falling apart, this whole thing is what, and, and I'm not just talking now about the events of this week. You might have situations at work. You might have relationships. You might have financial situations. You might have family situations. You might have accommodations. You might have relationships. You might have a, 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 a boss that, that, that you, you're just tied up with. And you're going, Lord, what are you doing? You say believe in you. You say that you're going somewhere and you're preparing a place. And then you even said that you know where, we know where you're going. But in truth, Lord, I don't know. And, and what I find amazing is this passage is written and in the conversation with the disciples. I've sometimes taken this passage to somebody who doesn't believe in Christ. 
But this passage is actually after he's been with them for three years. This passage is after they've walked with him. They've seen things. They've seen fish and loaves multiplied. They've seen people fed. They've seen healing after healing. It says in one of the books that they couldn't contain the number of miracles that he did. So it's not just the miracles we read. There's miracles that aren't even put in the Gospels. They'd spent time with him, walked with him. He was God with us. He was a personification of who God was. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Powerful. And they said to him, where are you going? And what's the way? Have you ever tried to navigate something that you're not sure how to navigate? That's me. A number of years ago, we went on a holiday um, to the States, and there was a state park that had bicycle paths. And the funny thing is, none of us have ridden these paths before. But for some reason, I was out front. Sometimes I think I got shoved up front because I was the father. And Uncle Daniel and Auntie Brenda were with us, and they were just as happy to see me go first um, instead of them. And as we did this, God was speaking to me. I didn't have a clue where to go. All I did was I just followed the path. And I trusted the sign that said it was a path. I mean, it said, if it says no exit, I wouldn't go there. After a few times, I asked one of my sons to lead. And he says, where do I go, Dad? And I believe God gave me a word for him. I said, you just follow the path. And he had to trust the path where we were going. Even though he didn't know exactly where it went. And he did. And he led us. And we came around and we got back to where we started from. And there's sometimes when we're on a path that we may not understand where it's going, how to get there, what's the ins and outs, which way do I turn. But when we walk with Jesus, he will guide us and he will lead us and direct us. So we get to his verse 6 where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I, I'm amazed. He says this to his disciples. Which tells me sometimes you and me need a reminder. Sometimes you and me need to be encouraged or reminded or said, you know what? I'm the way. And the word way means way. It means which way to go. 
Sometimes the definitions are very simple. It's a path. A way will lead you to where you're going. So Jesus, when he says, I am the way, what he's saying is, if you need to know which way to go, look to me. Are you listening this morning? If you don't understand which way to go, Jesus is the way. You're saying, I'm not sure what to do. Jesus is the way. I'm not trying to be silly. I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but sometimes I think we complicate it. Sometimes I think we have so many expectations and demands where we just miss the fact that He is the way. He is the way. So what does that mean? How can you apply that? What does... how? It's very simple sometimes to speak what the Bible says, but what does that mean in how I live today? Well, instead of me trying to figure it all out, sometimes that means I start by asking him what he's doing. When I get a phone call and I know I'm going to be in a situation that might be difficult, high pressure, I would suggest to you that before you jump in and make that phone call, you take a moment and you say, Jesus, you're the way. I need your help. And you ask him, and I believe he will give you the direction and the steps to take and the path and the route to go. Have you ever made that phone call? And then five minutes later, you go, what a mess I just made? Has, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'll do it for you. And I'd probably do this a few times. He's the way. What does that mean? That means you can trust what he says and what he tells you. And what he says and what he tells you is in here. I wrote down a few in my conversation with Jesus this morning. He gave me a few thoughts. One of the thoughts he said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's in here. So when I say, what way do I go? I know that he's going to be with me and he's not going to forsake me. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to leave me high and dry. He's not going to forsake me like maybe some of my friends did. He's not going to push me out in front, shove me out in front, and then stand back and snicker like I used to do to people or like what happened to me. In fact, he's a good shepherd. He gets in front of me. When he says, I am the way, he is saying, what you need to figure out which path to go, look to him. Ask Jesus, what do I do? 
And this is the part of the conversation like I was talking earlier. When you ask the question, be ready to listen to the answer. Because sometimes we have the, I should haves. I should haves. Quite often that's Jesus. And by the way, he doesn't sit there and go, you dummy. He, he says, I'm here for you. You made a couple mistakes. You made a couple missteps. But I'm here. Let me help you. Yes, there's consequences. But there's also my Savior. Don't spend your time beating yourself up. Get back and say, no, I'm going to go the way that he leads. He's the way. He will always lead you to the correct path. Always. 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 Our human mind, I don't think we can comprehend a God that loves us so much that he will always lead you in the direct path, in the correct path. Because we just don't do that. Our GPS usually says recalculating the route. Turn around at the next available spot. You missed the turn. He's always leading you in the direct and the correct way. This is the confidence that you and I can have in having a conversation with him and having a life with him and a relationship with him. And I just find it amazing that he's telling this to people who have been with him for three and a half years. They saw him walk on water. Why would he have to? Didn't they figure it out? No, they're human. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay to say, Lord, I need to know which way you're going. Don't think, well, I've been saved for 10 years, 5 years, 3 years, 28 years, 49 years. Don't, don't walk that way, but just say, Lord, I need you today just as much as I needed you the first day I heard your voice. I need you. In fact, I need you more today than I did before. Because the closer you get to him and the more you get to know him, the more you need to rely on him and the more you need him to direct your steps. And I just find it amazing. He says, I am the way. And I've made this point many times in these conversations. He is the way. He's not a way. He is the way. It's like there's an exclusivity to that comment. He doesn't share it with anybody else. He doesn't share it with Dr. Phil or Oprah. He doesn't share it with the modern theological positions. He doesn't share it with the philosophical ideas. He doesn't He is the way. Sometimes we hide behind ideas and ideologies instead of just saying, no, he's the way. If you need to correct your way, do it now and say, Lord, this is where your way goes. I will follow you because he is the way. 
I find it amazing. He says three things to them. I'm the way. He says, I'm the truth. One of the aspects of truth is the de- dependability of what he says. His truth doesn't need version 2.0. It doesn't need an upgrade. It doesn't say plug in and get the latest download. His truth from 2,000 years ago and beyond is still just as true today as it was when it was spoken. And myself, I have learned and followed and had an amazing revelation of who Jesus is in this last year and a half of my life. And I thought I'd grown up with him. I grew up in church. But I have found the closer I get to him and the more I need, look at him, the more I need him. And actually, the less I think I know. I know him, but I got to get to know him. Truth. He is the truth. Well, that's a big one. Because in today's world, have your free thought. Everything's relevant. Whatever you would like. No, I'm sorry, but there are some things that compel me on how I live. There are some decisions I make that I don't make on based on what David wants. I make based on what the Word says. There are some confessions that I make that don't sound the same way as what a doctor says, but I look at his truth and I say, no, his truth is what prevails. There are some situations I face, I have been... I've been rehearsing in my mind words that God has, and I just am amazed at all the miracles that I see in the Word of God that He does, and they are truth. And I see the things and the confidence that He says and the confidence He instills in the people when He says, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't leave them or forsake them. His truth is dependable. His truth, and I found this interesting, conforms to reality. We just have the wrong reality. But the reality is what he says, and his truth conforms to that. And I'm amazed here he's talking to his disciples, and he says, guys, I'm the way. Can you imagine somebody inserting themselves in a conversation and saying, I'm, I'm the way. I, I'm, I'm the truth. When you're faced with a situation that Pastor Daniel shared things before about facts, And the facts can change. The facts can change based on a temperature or on the day or on the month or on the demographic. But his truth does not change. And sometimes we look at a fact and we give it value of a truth. And we lift this fact up. And instead of applying the truth of God's word, we let that dictate to us. For instance, when the, when the 12 spies went into the 
promised land to spy it out. The fact was, there were giants. The fact was, they were smaller than the giants. And ten of them chose to live on that fact, and two of them said, no, the truth is, we can take the land. And the two that said that actually were instrumental in going into the promised land. In fact, they were the only two of that generation that went in. That whole generation was wiped out. And you had two guys that for 40 years were waiting for their promise because they believed the truth. The truth did not change. The facts did. Don't build your life based on facts. Build your life based on truth. And we become so information-minded that we dismiss God. Well, the information says this. The projections are this. The tendencies are that. Well, what does his word say? His word says, I am the way and I am the truth. When you're looking for an answer, I would suggest this is the place to start. This is the place to get in in the middle. And this is the place to end. And if you add anything apart from that, I would suggest you're going in the wrong direction. Now, it says in here that there's safety in the counsel of many. So it doesn't mean you, but you get it from the right people. You follow what the word says, the truth in the word. Man, in today's world, opinions change faster than the weather. His truth remains the same. He's looking at his disciples and he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And then he says, I'm the life. And in the context, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And what I have found myself is when my heart is troubled, my life suffers. When my heart is confused, troubled, stirred up, my life suffers from that. And he's talking to his disciples, and this is monumental. He's getting ready to leave. And there's going to be questions that they have. I mean, the only person that stayed with him to the cross was John, because at the, at the cross he says, Mom, here's your son. John, here's your mom. Peter ran away. Everybody else deserted them. Their hearts were troubled. Sometimes in the middle of life, we forget where our source is. Don't forget who your source is. Don't forget the life that he has. The life that he has is a life, and, and I just love this, because when you look at the word life, it becomes 
superlatives. Does anybody, a superlative is like, it's not just a good word, it's like an awesome word. It's not just like, I'm happy, it's like, I'm exuberant. It's not just like, it was a good day, it was like, over the top, off the hook or off the chain or something like that. It's like, man, it was like, he dropped the mic kind of good. So the superlatives that come with this word are just natural to the word life. He's not talking about a ho-hum, mundane, boring, sad, woe is me. He's talking about a life of happiness. Sometimes I think we need to spell it differently, happy mess. Like, let's make it a happy mess. Let's, let's just have so much happy that it gets crazy. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked to you about the life that he wants to give you. And he says, and the life that I have for you is a life of abundant. And that word, one of the words was unnecessary. That's still the same. That hasn't changed. And this is the description of the life that he wants. He wants you to have a life that people would look at and say, it's over the top. The life that Jesus has to offer is not a life of, I, I'm not, I don't believe it's a life of just getting by. I don't believe that. Because everything I see he did was an overcoming, was greater, was stronger, was victor, was more. He didn't just do what was required, but he says, my strength, my, my strength is, my grace is sufficient. It was more than enough. The life that he has for us is a life of more. It is actually the standard of living. I read the paper. I read, well, I don't read the paper anymore. I read the internet. I will see things on the, and they talk about the standard of living. And what happens is we base our life on what the projections are or what people say instead of basing our life and our standard on living on what he says. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. The life that Jesus has is the measuring stick. So this morning I want to I want to encourage you. We serve a good God. We serve a great God. We serve a God who is victorious. We serve a God who overcomes. And no matter what the situation is, we can look to him and say, he's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. And everything I need, he has. Everything that I require, he has. Everything that is needed for me to get over this moment. Everything that is needed for me to understand the situation. Everything that is needed for me for the wisdom that I need, he has. And I will run to him and I will look to him and I will say, you are the way. You are the truth. 
And you are the life. This morning, I know it's been a crazy week. And it's, it's not all about what's happened with Tainan, although that does affect us. We are family. But there's also some of you that are struggling. There's maybe some of you that are, are frustrated. I want to tell you that he is the way. He is the truth. And he's the life. And I want to encourage you, if you're looking for any answer, you start here. You start here. Don't, don't look anywhere else. Because any answer that is contrary to this is an inferior answer. Any answer that you get is inferior if it does not contain God's word. If it's not God's word. I'd like us all to stand. I'm just gonna, we're just going to close in prayer. Can we do something a little different as we close in prayer this morning? Can I, can I have the rows just move forward? If you're in the back, let's, let's try to make full rows across. Yeah, you, why don't we just come up here? Let's just, everybody, just come up here. We're family. And if everybody, I want us just to hold together. And I want us to pray for the person to our right or to our left. If you just hold hands together, I'll just take a moment for everybody. We'll just make this, there's a few people trying to get through down here. Just come right on up. We're family. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So I'd like you just to pray for a moment. Pray for the person on your right. Just ask God to touch them. You can, just, you can say it out loud. You can say it quietly. But just take a moment and pray for the person on your right. And as you finish, you can then pray for the person on your left. Just ask God to touch them. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is life. 
I thank you that your word is truth. Lord, I just ask for right now that your peace and your strength and your wisdom would come on us. That we would get strength from one another. That we would support each other. That we would see the strength that comes from your word. And Lord, as we are families together, Lord, I thank you for the bond of peace. I thank you for the relationships. Lord, I thank you for support. I thank you, Lord, for those that have stood with with all of us, with each of us in different situations. And Lord, I just ask, God, that you would just pour out your spirit this morning. Pour out your spirit. That you would just minister. That you would just minister. Holy Spirit, just minister to every heart that may be feeling a little troubled. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Man, I just want to say one thing in closing. If you don't know Jesus, it says in John, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So if you want to experience the life that I was talking about, I want to encourage you just to ask Jesus and just say, Lord, I want to believe in you. I believe in you. I believe what you've done and accept what he's done. It doesn't have to be a big production. And if you make that decision, if you want that, talk to one of the adults here. Talk to myself or one of the pastors, Pastor Nelson, Pastor Daniel or our wives or somebody who brought you and we'll just pray with you. But Jesus, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Have an amazing Thanksgiving weekend. God bless you.